the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, man, it is nice to see you, the 5.30 service folks. It's been a little while, it feels like, since I've gotten to see you. I'm really glad to be with you. Uh, We are, of course, in Advent, the season known as Advent. And you may know that Advent is uh, commonly understood in the church to be a, a season of preparation. But a, a season of preparation for what exactly? Now, you know, outside the church, we are uh, buying Christmas presents and making Christmas lists and putting out Christmas decorations and, and getting ready for Christmas parties and unboxing ugly Christmas sweaters. And so I think it's probably easy for us to assume, because of the season all around us, that Advent is preparation for Christmas. And it is, sort of. But if it were only about getting ready for the sweet baby Jesus in the manger with the star in the sky and the angels all around, don't you think that John the Baptist would make a pretty strange centerpiece. Because really, John the Baptist is the centerpiece of Advent. We got him this week. We're going to get him again next week. He is the herald of the one to come. He is the voice in the wilderness saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. But none of you has ever gotten a Christmas card with John the Baptist on it. You know, some like that beautiful, photogenic, perfect family photo, but instead of saying merry and bright or wise men still seek him, it says, you brood of vipers. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. No, Merry Christmas. John the Baptist has everything to do with preparing for Jesus, but very little to do with Christmas. And yet, the church, in its historic wisdom, has placed this wild man in the wilderness with the camel hair clothing and the locusts in his teeth, placed it right in the middle of our holiday cheer. And John the Baptist is way more bitter, triple black espresso than he is peppermint mocha, isn't he? He is not a comfort. He is an eye-opening wake-up call. And not just for those folks coming to be baptized on the uh, Jordan 2,000 years ago, but for you and me as well. John has two prevailing metaphors as he is preparing the way for the Lord, as he is priming hearts to receive the Savior. He talks about fruit and root. He talks about wheat and chaff. Fruit and root and wheat and chaff. So let's talk about those. First, fruit and the root. John is, I think, his his tone is, is pretty alarming as he addresses the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the the normal folks, the the, the, the towns folks from the local towns or the countryside people, the shepherds and the farmers and the 
carpenters and the weavers and the potters, they've been coming in droves to the riverbank. They have uh, been confessing their sins. They've been dunked under the water and, because they seem to want a change. They want a burden lifted. They want a, a guilt assuaged. And John's preaching is, is telling them that a change is coming. But it's really, it's when the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up. It's when the religious people show up. That's when. John starts to get loud, right? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, if I'm imagining the scene, I'm imagining the folks who came from the countryside perked up when they heard John confronting the religious leaders. And I imagine that's exactly what John wanted. Everybody perks up because the message to the religious leaders is really a message for all of us. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now I think probably when you and I hear that initially, what we hear is bear better fruit. The fruit that you're bearing now is not worthy of repentance, so bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, do better works. Quit being bad, start being good. And you know, at least on some level, that's good advice. We should be good. But that's not how fruit works. Because if you've got an apple tree, and it's producing crab apples... You cannot tell that apple tree to start producing sweet, juicy, honeycrisp apples, can you? Right? No amount of fertilizer, no amount of watering or pesticides or sprinkling sugar on the roots or anything like that, nothing you do is going to change the fruit that that tree produces because the problem is not the fruit. The problem is the DNA of the tree. The problem is the root. It's a crab apple tree. And the only, if, you, if you want Honeycrisp apples in that spot, the only way is to chop down the crab apple tree and replant a Honeycrisp apple tree in that spot. Now let's just say for laughs that you are a crab apple tree. And what you want more than anything is to produce big, sweet, juicy Honeycrisp apples, but all you seem to be able to produce is bitter crab apples. If that's the case in that scenario, then perhaps the, the prospect of being replanted might actually sound like good news. Because I wonder if you've ever promised God something only to come up short over and over again. God, I'm, I'm not going to yell at my family anymore. God, I'm not going to drink tonight. God, I'm, I'm going to stop treating people like I'm better than they are. God, I'm going to forgive that person. Or God, I'm going to forgive myself. But in the end, it's just crab apples. I know what that's like. 
My guess is that you do too. And my guess is that the the carpenters and the potters and the weavers from the countryside knew what it was like, and so did the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. You see, here's the thing. Repentance is not the promise of a crab apple tree that from now on it's going to start growing honeycrisp apples. Repentance is the crab apple tree finally admitting to the farmer that on its own all it can do is grow crab apples. Repentance is the plea of the crab apple tree to the farmer to give it a new root. Create in me a clean heart. Change me on the inside. Replant me and give me new DNA. See, John is not focused on getting us to behave. John is laser focused on the inbreaking of God because Jesus is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the crab apples of the world. See, the way that fruit works is that you've got to be chopped down if you want a different kind of fruit. And so John's not looking for a baby in a manger. John's looking for a woodsman with an axe. He's looking for the one who will come and replant us. He's looking for the one who can make us new on the inside. All John can do is say that that's coming. He's washing. He's, it's symbolic. He's, he's putting them under the water and saying your sins are, are forgiven. But he can't change on the inside. He's saying I'm looking for the one whose grace will change the root so that we can bear the fruit worthy of repentance. I think that one of the reasons that John gets loud with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that religious people tend to focus on the fruit and not the root. Now, you're here in church tonight and I like work for the church, so we gotta we should perk up when we're talking about religious people. Religious people sometimes focus on the fruit and not the root. We just uh, take off the crab apples from the tree and get some duct tape and put the Honeycrisp apples up on the tree and call it good, right? In other words, religious people sometimes have a tendency to do religious things in order to adorn their religious life. Things maybe like going down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Or maybe things like Coming to church, coming to take communion, serving in a ministry. Now, all those, of course, are wonderful things that I would love for you to do, but not as a dormant to make you look good, only as good fruit from a good root. See, John's not interested in baptizing people to make the people look good, like another notch on the religious belt of their good works. John is interested in preparing their hearts for the coming one who will put the crab apples to death and resurrect them to the Honeycrisp life. And friends, that is not condemnation. That is hope. It's hope. 
See, the only thing that is condemned is any insistence that we have to rely on our own goodness before God. And that's the Pharisee's way. That's the brood of vipers. But for those who are ready to get off the hamster wheel of making promises they can't keep, for those who need that burden lifted, who need that guilt assuaged, who need that new root, John is preparing hearts for the inbreaking of God. God Almighty interjecting Himself into a broken world that is desperate for His Word, for His touch, for His grace. And of course, that is what Christmas is. The inbreaking of God. But John is not aiming for Christmas. John's aiming for heaven. Perhaps, which... Ultimately, heaven is what Christmas is all about. Good fruit comes from a good root. And Jesus is coming to make good roots. So then, in his fiery riverbank sermon, John changes his metaphor from fruit and root to wheat and chaff. Now, the meaning of the wheat and the chaff is related to the metaphor of the fruit and the root. Uh, But all of John's audience would have known that the threshing floor was where all of the harvested wheat was brought. Picked it up out of the the fields, out of the crops, cut it down, brought it to the threshing floor. And it must have been this sort of outside, uh, open air sort of platform that they constructed. And, And the workers would wait for a healthy breeze to blow. And then they would take the big winnowing fork, like a like a pitchfork, and get underneath it and throw it up into the air. And the breeze would blow away all the broken bits and the husk and the dirt and what would fall back to the to the ground. I'm gonna have to do it several times, but what would fall back to the threshing floor was the was the pure good grain. And then the workers would gather up this purified crop of the good wheat and store it in the granary until it was uh, time to use it for flour. But the chaff, the broken bits, the unusable parts, that would get swept up and thrown into the fire. Now, as you may suspect, this is a metaphor pointing us to final judgment. And final judgment is another subject that's not very popular on Christmas cards these days. But you know what? Maybe actually... The final judgment is a subject, maybe is the subject that should make us so grateful for the baby in the manger. Because sweet and warm and glorious as the Christmas story is, with the angels singing high and the shepherds bowing low, the baby came to hide us from his own judgment. The baby came to change the root, to make the chaff into wheat. And if you've given your heart to Jesus, if you've asked Him for a new root to create in you a clean heart, then I want to tell you, friend, you don't have anything to worry about in that final judgment. In fact, you can rejoice that you belong to a God that is so 
good and so strong that he will come against every evil. You can rejoice that you will be weighed by the merits of Jesus and brought in with the healthy harvest. And if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, or if you're not sure, then let me tell you, the invitation's always open. Always open. John's message is not get your act together, stop making crab apples, start making honey crisps. No, John's message is prepare your heart for the inbreaking of God. And that's what we talk about at Christmas because Christ has come. He broke in, God in the flesh, entering his own creation. And yet it's also, this inbreaking is what we talk about all through the church year by the Holy Spirit. Christ still breaks in. By His grace, He changes crab apples into honeycrisps. Changes chaff into wheat. And in that final judgment, Christ will come again to judge both the living and the dead. And we who are in Christ will be counted among the living. Bear fruit from a good root. Worthy of repentance. Lord, give us the good root. Amen.